Hi, friends. This is Michael, and welcome to the Christchurch Podcast. episode after yesterday's, that is after Palm Sunday's episode, then welcome back and thank you so much for hitting play again because you most certainly did not have to, to do that. <laughs> In fact, you probably have other things that you could be doing with your time right now, but for some reason you have chosen to listen in, some reason you've chosen to draw near to the cross this week, to stay at the feet of of Jesus. And for that, for that, I am grateful. I really am because that's, this is no easy thing. This stuff is not easy to talk about. It's not easy to be reminded of. It's not easy to listen to. It's not easy to be confronted with. It's not easy, but it is necessary. We're told in Mark's gospel that um, actually, we hear right out of Jesus' own mouth that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, right before this verse, Jesus is sharing with his disciples that whoever wishes to become great must become a servant, and whoever wishes to be first must become a slave to all. This is the way of Jesus, the Son of Man. But there's more going on here. <clears throat> Jesus is interpreting his own death. He has not come to be served, but to serve. This is the way in which Jesus lived his life. And this is the way in which Jesus would die. Jesus will give his own life as a ransom for many. So let's, um, let's clear some things up before we move forward. In this passage from Mark's gospel, two of Jesus' disciples who also happen to be brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they are asking, but really more than asking, they're kind of commanding Jesus to let them sit at his right hand and at his left hand when he takes, or rather when he sits upon his throne in glory. See, they want the next best seats. They want the closest seats to Jesus. But even more than that, it's not just about being close to Jesus for James and John. I, and, and this is me reading into the text and maybe making an assumption that's not there. But, but let's be honest. They don't just want the next best seats. They don't just want the closest seats to Jesus. They want to make sure that when other people look at the throne where Jesus is sitting as king, that to the right and to the left, they see both James and John. That as they stare, as people stare at the throne where Jesus is, James and John are in the peripheral. That they're right there, that they're noticed as well, that they too will be in the place of honor and glory and power. And then Jesus flips everything on its head by telling them, if you want to be great, you must first become a servant. In fact, that's why Jesus came into the world. That's how he lived. He came not to be served, but to serve. And you know, the brothers, 
aren't the only people who think this way. Let's be really honest here. We all think this way. Do we not? Don't we all think that we too deserve the place of honor? Think about going out to dinner. You made those reservations. It's a nice restaurant. You're going to pay a whole lot of money for the food that you're about to eat. You're even dressed up. Got some perfume or cologne on. You smell good. You showered beforehand. You get to the restaurant. You tell them your, your name, that you had reservations for 615 on the dot. They're ready for you. The server takes you back or the hostess or the host rather takes you back to your, uh, your table and you find that the table that they are sitting you in is right next to the kitchen or worse. It's right next to the bathroom. And the first thing that goes through your head is, are you serious? I made a reservation. I'm about to pay a ton of money for this meal. I took a shower for this. <laughs> I could have at least gotten a seat with a better view or by the or by the uh by the window or where the action is, but you're gonna seat me next to the kitchen, you're gonna seat me next to the to the bathroom. I deserve better than this. I deserve the place of honor. We all think we deserve the place of honor. We all think we deserve glory, recognition, affirmation, power, etc. Do we not? Edmund Pavinci. When he was a young boy, Edmund Pavinci, of course, you know, is one of the four children who stumble through the wardrobe into Narnia. He desired to be great and powerful. He wanted to be the king of Narnia. So much so that he was willing to betray his own siblings. It's easy for us to sit back and think, who in the world could ever do such a thing? And the answer is, any one of us would. Jesus knows this, and because Jesus knows this, he reveals a better way. He goes on and foretells that the Son of Man will give his life as a ransom for many. He's foretelling his death. He's, he's saying what is to come. The Son of Man will give his life as a ransom for many. Of course, for those listening to him, that description, the Son of Man, would bring a certain prophet named Daniel to mind. In fact, it would bring up a book known as, at least to us, as the book of Daniel. And in our Bibles, it'd be Daniel chapter 7. This would come into their minds when they hear Jesus using this language that the Son of Man will be giving up his life. See, in Daniel 7, the prophet reveals seeing one like the Son of Man, like a human being, like a human one, coming on the clouds of heaven, being given dominion and glory and kingship that all people would serve him. This son of man, according to Daniel's description, leaves us imagining this majestic Messiah-like figure, and it is a Messiah, so not even Messiah-like, but this majestic Messiah figure riding in with the armies of angels and archangels ready to overthrow the ruling empires of the day to take back their dominion and power. But instead, Jesus says, you know, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, that's not the same thing at all, is it? <laughs> Instead of this warlord-type figure, Jesus reveals a humble servant being offered as a ransom. And what is a ransom anyway? Well, by definition, a ransom 
is a payment made for the release of one held in captivity. I'll think about that for a moment. Why would the Son of Man need to give his life as a ransom? Why would the Son of Man need to give his life as a ransom for many? Who needs a ransom? Who are these many who need a ransom to be paid in order to be set free? Who is held under some type of captivity? Oh, right. You and me and creation itself. Read the New Testament and you will see this kind of language being used all over the place. Creation is not free. You and I are not free either. Flannery uh, O'Connor, wonderful author in her own right, once wrote, my subject in fiction is the action of grace in the territory held largely by the devil. See, we all find ourselves in a territory held largely by the devil, under the captivity of the powers of sin and death. Any one of us can look around and see just how true this is, even today. Turn on the news, read the headlines, pay attention at all, drive through your city and look out your window. Children are dying of hunger today, even though we have enough food. Not just dying of hunger like all over the world in those commercials you see on infomercials late at night, like in your own neighbor, or rather in your own communities, in your own cities, children are going to bed hungry, even though we have enough food. Children are dying of hunger, even though we have enough food. People still to this day remain homeless without shelter, a basic necessity of life. Can you imagine being homeless today with, with the rains that we've been experiencing and the storms we've been experiencing and even the frigid cold temperatures and the snow that we have just experienced not that long ago, not having shelter or warmth? Homelessness is still a real issue. Racism and injustice and injustice rather still very much exist and are still very much alive in individuals today. And racism and injustice are still very much alive, not just in individuals, but in systems that we have in place in our very own country, including our justice system. Can you believe that? Well, you should. People kill. People steal. Wars continue to rage on. Human trafficking and slavery are still happening, folks. They still exist. Our education system in our own country is not equal. The creation, all of creation is still groaning. And only intervention from the creator himself can save it. So here's what happened. We were held captive to the powers of sin and death. This is why Jesus came. He came to free us. John 3.16, of course, we know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. But verse 17, right after it, he did not, Jesus says, he did not come into the world to condemn it. He came into the world to save it. Save it from what? You and I are held captive by the powers of sin and death. He came to free us. And these powers, as Jesus came into the world, did their best and their most effective work at putting the Son of Man to death on a cross. And this is when the story gets interesting. 
On the cross, Jesus became two things at once. See, on the cross, the powers of sin and death thought that they had won. What they didn't know is what was happening on the cross would end in their defeat. See, on the cross, Jesus was our ransom, the payment that we needed for our deliverance, for our freedom. But he also became the victor who has overthrown the dominion of sin and death in this world forever. As one brilliant preacher points out, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is truly the beginning of the end when the kingdom of God will be all in all. See, in the incarnation of Jesus, the invasion of grace has entered the territory largely held by the devil. The weapon of choice for this Christ were not the weapons of the systems of this world. No, no, no. The weapons of choice for for Christ, for Jesus, are those of suffering love. In Jesus' death on the cross, you and I are delivered from the powers that seek nothing more than to destroy humanity. And in the cross, we see what we were worth to God. We We see just exactly how much we are worth to God in the cross. That ransom that Jesus is referring to in Mark's gospel had to be equal to the bondage within which we were held. It required a payment of equal value. Fleming Rutledge reveals the universal human condition is one of bondage under the reign of death. But in his own death and resurrection, the Lord has overturned that reign. He established himself forever over the dark powers. He can never be overthrown. Amen and amen. Grace and peace.